Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday evening. Usually we would see us on a Monday when the newsroom, but we gave everybody a little bit of an extra day after a wonderful Canada Day weekend. Hope you all had a special day, a uh, special weekend celebrating this wonderful country. Um, there are four of us. If you're watching live on the stream, please uh, join us. And uh, we are just, you know, reacting uh, almost immediately after the final whistle uh, in Houston, where Canada have advanced from their Gold Cup group following a 4-2 victory over Cuba. Christian Jack, Alex Gangu, Ruzik, Mitchell Tierney, Charlie O'Connor-Clark with you around about for the next 55 to 60 minutes. So we'll also recap an action-packed weekend in the CPL as well. But instant reaction, please let your questions and comments on um, what was, I think, a rather disjointed uh, Canadian Gold Cup so far, I think is the word. Um, AGR will give you the first word, I suppose, Job done. A um, little bit of evidence of, of frustration and, you know, chopping and changing of shapes and formations. But is it really now all about what comes up and that will really define their tournament? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like job done, but barely, right? Like, it feels like with that group they were given advancing was the bare minimum. And it, the toughest thing is with so many regulars missing, it was a chance to really see what the rest of your group is about and on that regard it's hard to say you know all that much more in fact uh, you know there's a lot of concerns to have with some regular contributors struggling across the the base of the tournament Canada's defense looking very shaky against three you know opponents that on on your day you'd expect them to, to handle a lot uh easier there were some bright spots some of the the youngsters did impress in, in cameos I mean Ali Ahmed was was very bright and you know and some other youngsters like today Jay Nelson brought a great spark off the bench mm -hmm. but overall I think if your goal was to advance and, and get a look at some different players I can't say you look back at this group stage uh with much joy other than the fact that you squeaked through barely yeah that that's a really good point I mean John Herbman's all smiles after every match uh, I'm not sure whether that's genuine happiness, masquerading, uh, what he's doing there. Uh, but AGR just put up some great points, Mitch, in terms of, I think, not just for John Herbman, but all for, for all of Canada, for us watching the games, opportunity, you know, to see what these players look like in that shirt. We always say national shirt maybe can be a bit heavier than a club shirt. What can you do? And, um, you know, we'll get into some of the pleasant surprises, but there has been disappointments. Overall, not exactly a ton of... I think, overwhelming evidence that we're being overly excited about a lot of this stuff. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I just think it didn't go to plan. I mean, they expected to come out, probably beat Guadalupe at home with, you know, a lot of the the regulars that uh, we're used to seeing over the last little bit. And then maybe they could rotate a little bit for Guatemala or they're planning to go into that match, you know, roll it back and win. And then they could rotate a little bit more to, uh, against Cuba. But after drawing at home to Guadalupe and then drawing again to Guatemala, you know, they have to win this game and they have to at least start with some of the regulars, at least the guys that Herbman trusts, you know, the guys who have been part of that brotherhood. So that's what we saw rolled out again today. And uh, like you said, it is disappointing because this tournament really felt like an opportunity to to turn a new page, maybe away from that brotherhood generation and and move on to some new faces. And we didn't see as many of those and and not just as many of those, but for significant opportunities. I mean, it's one thing to get a, you know, a cameo here and there off the bench. Some of these guys have done that before, but getting a first genuine start for the national team uh, is important. And we didn't get a lot of those over the past couple of games. We did not. No. Um, Charlie, over to you. You obviously do the analysis on campiel.ca. Um, you did a great preview for this as well. Watching this game and putting together your observations, what were some of your overwhelming thoughts uh, specifically to this game before we, you know, go, we look a little bit more macro. Yeah, I, I think it was, I, I don't know if I'd say it was 
convincing and comfortable from Canada, but it, it certainly did feel like they, again, did what they needed to. There were times when, you know, I think I think just before halftime when maybe the foot comes off the gas a little bit, they give it the penalty, and then they're actually under pressure again for like five minutes before mm-hmm. before the half. Um, I think for the most part, it was it was solid. It was it was a you know a, a much better performance I think than the first two matches, but again against a, a much weaker Cuba team than either Guatemala or Guadeloupe were. Um, again, I, I think there were probably more goals in this game for Canada, but not necessarily. I'm not really thinking of big chances necessarily that they missed, other than maybe Jonathan Osorio with with a couple that that could have found the net. The one where where he was offside, and I don't think that actually crossed the line or not. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it's a, it was a weird game for Canada, who I think were maybe. I, I don't know. At, at times, a little bit hesitant, a little bit uh, just not as not as ruthless, maybe as as they are in some in some other games that they've played with the full squad. But again, I think there are some bright performances. Certainly, uh, we were definitely all surprised to see Jaden Nelson come in in the first half for Bombito, which was kind of a, a strange move. But I thought Jaden Nelson was one of the best players on the pitch for Canada today, and and again, one of those players who was who did have that ruthlessness. And and when he scores that goal again, he kind of picks that ball out and and scores it as you kind of just needed a player to do. So again, it's it's job done. I think there's a lot of, of work to be done for this team and, and certainly not a, a comfortable performance by any means. But, you know, the, the real test, I guess, is is coming up on Sunday. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I like I like the Jaden Nelson uh, introduction. I think they needed a little bit of pace. Um, they needed a bit of just igniting the team a little bit. And uh, happy Jaden's got minutes in this tournament. And there was always that situation where he could have been cap tied elsewhere, right? So you, you needed to get him locked up for this team, which is important, I think, going forward. Um, playing that official, you know, those official games is great. Um, he's a player that I think can be a, a, a diamond that they can continue to just rub and rub and rub and, and, and hopefully improve going forward. Um, but you talked about it. You know, the whole tournament has lacked rhythm, I think. Like, yeah. it's just, they've just lacked that rhythm where it's like, oh, now they're going, now they're going. It's just, and some of these games, you never, you, you can't really win them. Everyone expects you to win, what, you know, everyone expects you to beat Cuba. So I understand all of that. But I think because of the performances prior to this AGR, we're left with a little bit of a sour taste, right? It's because if they if they just played that way tonight and they won 4-2, but they'd won the other two games comfortably, it'd be okay. But we're still seeking answers. And if we're jurors, we're coming to a verdict where ugh, we're not thinking Sunday looks very positive. Yeah, I think that the first two games absolutely kind of set the table for this because, again, they just they lacked conviction. And I think what was probably the most worrying of this group stage is, and it kind of extends back to that Nations League final, is they haven't looked like Canada for four games, right? It's uh, Again, we, we haven't seen that Canada side. We're accustomed to seeing that brash, confident, wanting to take games over. Uh, you know, even just, uh, yeah, in terms of winning loose balls, winning 50-50s, wanting to control the game, it just feels like they, a lot of those intangibles kind of escape them. And again, yeah, in the first two games, it's it's surprising because it's the it's the old guard. It's the guard you expect to, to you know, no matter what, maybe, uh, you know, if they're, they're not, uh, if they're struggling tactically or if they're struggling certain areas, you'd expect them to bring a lot of those things and they just weren't. And Again, you look back on those two games, and that's what I'd said. If you're playing a bunch of new guys and they struggled, okay, you could look. It's a, they're wearing a new shirt for the first time. It's tough. Um, they're making their debut. You understand it, or maybe they're not good enough, or you can ask yourselves all these things. But you're sitting here looking at players that, you know, a year or two years ago were looking fantastic in a can of shirt, and it just kind of makes you go, 
what's wrong? Why is it so disjointed? Why are you lacking that that extra, uh, you know, effort? And, you know, I guess you could point to, to everything going on off the field. But at a certain point when 90 minutes comes and you're representing your country, it just feels like we, we've been used to seeing so much more from Canada than we have. And I think heading into the even in this Cuba game, we didn't really see that 110 percent we're used to seeing. And uh, I think that's probably just the biggest frustration, given that it's you know, these we're not looking out there and there's 11 new faces or it's yeah. completely disjointed. This is a team we've seen a lot of over the last two years. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what what, what about, let me just ask you, AJ, quickly on that, about follow-up. You mentioned some of those players that you're not being overwhelmingly happy with. Who? Like, who who comes to mind? Who Who has been frustrating for you in terms of not reaching that peak that you'd like? Yeah, well, I think the big surprise was defensively and in midfield. Because I think... Again, you look at the attack, they're missing a lot of their big guns, and you could kind of, kind of almost understand the the disjointedness, but it was really just, you thought with the, the defense and midfield there, like Steven Vittoria, he struggled across the first two games. He was on suspension risk, that's probably why he didn't play today, so they could save him for a potential uh, quarterfinal. You know, even someone like Kamal Miller got burned a few times in, you know, in the last game, and that was, you know, he was, he was having a tough time down that left side. Milan Borian against Guadeloupe uh, didn't have the greatest of games. He did at least pick it up against Guatemala. And those are three guys who, you know, you'd expect to, to kind of bring a bit of stability, bring a calmness to, to the team. And then even in midfield, a guy like Jonathan Azorio scored today and had a lot of great chances, but that turnover he gave away on the first goal, really, you know, if Canada makes it to this halftime two nil up, they could have won this game five or six nil, but all of a sudden you're dragged back into a fight. All of a sudden you're, you're back in the game. And it's just moments like that, especially from a guy like Azorio, who's so consistent. It's just surprising to see. And, you know, he was he was one of a few that had that issue. Yeah, no doubt. You're listening to the newsroom uh, brought to you by Volkswagen, Christian Jack, Alexander Ruzik, Mitchell Tini, Charlie O'Connor-Clark. If you're live here on Tuesday night, we're recapping Canada's 4-2 victory over Cuba and uh, into the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup, which will be played on Sunday in Cincinnati, Ohio, against the U.S. Um Alex, you just mentioned some of the negatives. Well, I guess negatives, some of the frustrations and challenges. Uh, Mitch, positives. Uh, I guess I don't want to put players in your in, in your mouth, so I'll let you say them. But who, who kind of stood out for you so far through three games? I think there's the obvious one, which is Ali Ahmed, who looks like a real player for Canada and a you know a real option there at the number eight in terms of you know immediately stepping in and and looking confident and trying things. You know, not all of them have come off, but. More often than not, it has. So um, over the course of three games, he's maybe been Canada's most consistent and best player in the, in the midfield there. So uh, he's been a, a very good one. Um, I've liked Liam Miller, his reintroduction to the team. I thought it was critical that they put him um, into the middle today and played him as more of a forward in terms mm-hmm. of how he was able to combine with Cavallini and the speed. Uh, you mentioned Jaden Nelson, the, the speed that he provided, but also the speed from Liam Miller to have more of a threat in behind that Canada hasn't really had through the first few matches. So uh, I think he's been um, very impressive as well. So those are kind of the two guys that have, you know, stood out to me the most, I would say. Yeah, that, that that's fair. I like the, I like your point about Miller. I'm pretty consistent about this, which also brings up about Ali Ahmed as well. It's like play players in the positions that they're comfortable with. That's, that's, I think that should be the, 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 the minimum requirement. I mean, I get that players are injured and that we don't have a ton of terrific left backs and you got to figure it all out. I get all of that. But if you're trying to play players in different positions, I don't think it works. And, um, you know, I know what you said about Bombito. Bombito's a defender. Okay. He's a defender. Um, and Colorado think he's a defender. That's a fact. And he's a defender. Um, he, he has a nice little cameo. He can play 15, 20 minutes if you need him in midfield. He's a defender. So let's get, let's get that out there right away. Um, 
what about you, Charlie? Anything else stood out for you in terms of this team? What about the shape, the changing things around a little bit? Um, are you echoing Mitch and Alex and my thoughts on defense and the concern and how they protect that ahead of this U.S. game? Yeah, there, it was a little bit, again, again, we keep using the word disjointed. And, and part of that, I mean, I guess is is chopping and changing a little bit and some players you know, making debuts or, or at their first tournament for Canada. Um, and, and again, as you said, Christian, there's, you know, even when you have Ali Ahmed in there for the first two games in midfield, he plays very well and he was still left back for this game. Mm. Uh, it's not really doing him any favors, I think. He was still good in this game, but maybe didn't have as much of an effect on it as he did, especially against Guadeloupe when he was able to, to combine with Richie Larea over on that right side, which I thought was the best part of that Guadeloupe game. Um, you know, you, you can't say that this this shape, this 4-4-2 didn't work for Canada because they won. But again, I do... I'd, I'd, I'd be a little bit concerned about more kind of major changes against a team like the United States, where you know I think the last thing that this Canadian team needs right now is more uncertainty and challenges and things to learn on the fly because there's already you know so much going on and, and things that have been frustrating for them. They've been fighting it a lot at times in this tournament. So I, I just feel like uh, in, a, in a game that's going to be very difficult like that, you have to go with what's what's going to make these players the most comfortable because, you know, they're not going to be comfortable anyway in those 90 minutes. Yeah. Look, I don't think we'll get into the U.S. game in a second. I don't think we should expect major changes, but um, all hands up if you expected Victor Latore to play more minutes through three games. Uh, right. I'm yeah. not alone. Okay. A uh, little stunner. No AGR. I mean, the guys played almost every game in Scotland, uh, every game that matters in an incredible relegation battle where they go through the very last game and then they win the playoff drama and drama fitness um, off the charts um, in a position of need. And we didn't really see a lot of him finally got a cap tonight, but there's a bit of a struggle and a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a, a mystery for me, AGR's fair. Yeah. I think Victor Latouri absolutely should have deserved the look, right? It felt like he kind of ticked every box. Like he's had the club form. Um, he's been in the camp a few times, so at least he's had that familiarity. So you can't say he's been dropped right in when, you know, some other players first time they're immediately on the field. And it's just even the fit tactically, like Victor Latour, as we've seen since his time with Calvary is number six, who will get on the ball. He'll set the tempo and he can defend. Right. And I think especially in this Cuba game, they were you knew that Canada was going to dominate the ball, even against Guatemala. You, all, you knew Guatemala was going to play four, four, two, sit behind the ball. You, you wanted to see a number six that, that that could control the game. And I just thought it was fascinating that John Herdman said that's kind of what he expected from Moisa Bombito, who's never really played in that position when you're kind of thinking he's describing a lot of what Victor Latoury can do on the ball, the setting, the tempo, et cetera. And, okay, maybe you want to try out Bombito for one game, but the fact that Latoury didn't start a single game uh, considering the teams they were up against and everything, I, I was very shocked. And I'm happy he got on and he showed his quality in, in, in glimpses, that through ball he played to Richie Larea, mm -hmm. one touch, you got a glimpse of, okay, that's uh, what we've been waiting for, what we've been you know, saying. So hopefully he gets a chance to show it more because Canada needs someone at the six. It feels like uh, it's a position that's kind of hurt them throughout the, this tournament, especially defensively. And a guy like Latoury who can bring the defense and the on-the-ball stuff will help immensely. Yeah, great just, point. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say just quickly for me, it's kind of puzzling that the two guys they brought in as injury replacements see the field before Victor Latoury and Jaden Nelson and Liam Frazier. And when Victor Latoury was at the last two camps, it, it, that's just a little puzzling for me. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Um, get your comments in. We're going to carry on talking about the national team for the next 10 minutes or so before we turn our attention to the CPL. Uh, lots of comments coming in, including uh, from Anthony, who said, I look a little orange. Uh, must be all that time spent in Hamilton salivating over Forge. Actually, no, mate. It's just that my son plays a ton of baseball and it's hot right now. So I spend a lot of time outside. But uh, uh, thanks for the, uh, I think, compliment, but maybe not about Forge. I'm not sure. Um, but wait for my top 10 rankings tomorrow if you think I'm a Forge fan. Um, anyway, uh, we'll get to that later. Um, what about Richie Larea? Uh, I think he deserves a mention. We've been going 16 minutes. Hasn't We haven't mentioned him yet. And this is a... Not a difficult time for Richie, but a, a changing time, a transitional time, maybe going back to Toronto, see, maybe not, uh, Charlie. And I, what I like about this is that when the stars aren't there, so quote-unquote stars, we want other people to shine and, and, and have the broad shoulders and be the leader tactically and, and, and make a difference. And I think Richie deserves a mention because he has been, he, he has been that player for Canada. I think so, yeah. And, and there's always, obviously, value in you know having players that have been with the team for that long when you're going to have a, a lot of new players you need it right? to a side you need that and Richie Larea has been at, you know maybe not in the in the the top main leaders of this group but he's been a leader at uh, for this team at times especially when you know there are you know bigger stars not in the group he's always really been there right and he's fantastic he's you know he's obviously been a a bright spot uh, at club level as you know there haven't been a lot of those at TFC but he's been good this year and obviously it's a it's an interesting moment an interesting summer for him where obviously we don't really know where he's going to be playing in in a month or so um and, and I don't know if he does either but yeah he's a he's a very important player for this Canada team especially you know when they do get in transition he's probably the best player one on one in this team at the moment I think He's he's a guy that can take on defenders, which obviously you're going to need to do, especially against the United States. He's going to have to make those those driving runs and play in transition and play those balls. So again, he's kind of a that spark plug player that you really need in in moments, especially when maybe the shoulders start sagging a little bit. He's always mm -hmm. kind of that energy guy, and I think he does deserve a mention because he his work rate and and his talent has been there, and it's been it's been a really bright spot for this Canada team. I think. Yeah, and I, get, I will get to the U.S. in a second, but I think if you're B.J. Callahan, he's probably the number one name you write down, right? Uh, he's this is yeah. the person we got to think about. What, how is it, how are we going to stop Richie Larea? Uh, I think that's the key for them. Um, some good comments. Arthur says Richie has been immense throughout the tournament. Aaron asks uh, Mitch. I'll throw this one to you. Do you think the current new young players brought in feel ready to take over in the future over some of the current old guard? Who do you think is ready? Um, we've talked about not anyone really particularly shining but if you think long term even if they're not necessarily playing right now there is a feeling that some of the players and we mentioned Steven Vittoria we don't know how much longer Junior Hoyler is congratulations to him by the way scoring his fourth goal cup that's a tremendous uh, achievement um, but the point is that there are people uh, players on the back end of their careers here Mitch that are going to need to be replaced and, and maybe Liam Miller is that player yeah I, I think he's in the he's definitely in the put himself in the conversation there's one who actually isn't here and wasn't at nations league that is very disappointing that he wasn't here and that's Derek cornelius who i think it would have been really lovely to get a look at at what he could do in, in this canada center back um pool and and i think he's going to be one of the leaders going forward just what we've seen from him in sweden recently and you know what we saw from him last camp for canada so uh he's been an, an absolutely massive mix and a player who i do think is is going to um you know 
factor very heavily in, into this Canada side going forward. I think, yeah, maybe a guy like Miller can start too, although there's a lot of young guys in, in his positions that continue to, to play well. So, it, you know, even if, um, yeah, even if he, he does, there's a lot of, uh, that's a tough spot to break into. Um, I, I still make the case for Loturia. I think that's just a profile of player that um, Canada really needs right now. So I think he's going to have every opportunity at some point here to, to break into this side as, as Canada continues to roll through the options. But uh, those are a few who I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Obviously, again, we haven't seen much of them um, over the last little bit. But um, yeah, it's it, that's it's been so consistent from Canada recently. Yeah. All, all fair points. Um, I'll throw out Theo Corbianu, who's just got his move today, by the way, as well. I think he's, he's still, I think a dynamic player that's very good in the dribble, uh, low center of gravity can really go one side and the other with left and right foot. I'd like to see him play more for Canada. Finn says um, we should have had McNaughton and Waterman in the squad, uh, former CPL boys. Um, a little, I think puzzling again, particularly with Joel and the way that he's been playing um, and again, I know that it seemingly th- it seemingly is that John Herdman is targeting players with he believes higher ceiling. Bombito may well have a higher ceiling um, than Joel Waterman, but if you want to win, and it's not about I don't think trying to make sure that their transfer fees go up and you can give them the chances now. I think if you want to win tournaments, you should be picking players who are better now, not necessarily high ceiling. Um, and, and maybe even Amir Didich. You know, I mean, I'm looking at some of these defenders right now, and I think that Didich has got a, a definite possibility, I think, to get back in the team the way he's playing. Um, all right, we've set been set pieces alone. Set pieces yeah. alone. Uh, amen. We've been teasing it. Uh, let's get to the fi- to the quarterfinal. I almost said final. Sorry, it was almost the final. Mm. It was a final two weeks ago. But it is a rematch. It is the United States, and we know their record at home is very good. Um, but John Herman said something I want to ask you guys about post game. He just called it uh, David versus Goliath. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that. Some raised eyebrows in here. That seems a little bit of a stretch. Uh, don't I don't I understand what he's saying. The United States at home are very good. We have to say for those who aren't aware, Canada are missing a bunch of their players. So are the U.S. In fact, U.S. made more changes. I believe only five t- players who were in the Nations League squad have come back. It is a predominantly Major League Soccer roster um, squad. Um, and I'm not saying they don't have good players because they do. Matt Turner is a very good goalkeeper from Arsenal. Um, I really like Brian Reynolds. Miles Robinson's been terrific. Um, you know, they rolled on. As, you know, they've got Ferreira scoring goals for fun. They've got players and, and difference makers. We understand that. But AGR, David versus Goliath makes me feel like that when I'm David, I'm scared because I don't see anybody on the U.S. team I'm scared of. Am I right? Yeah, I feel like uh, there's many on many fronts. It's a bit of a interesting one just because again like what it was march where you're sitting there after beating honduras you're calling your you know he's still saying the big dogs of Concacaf, the kings of Concacaf. certainly wouldn't be fearing anyone in that case and especially yeah like you mentioned it's you know it's a u.s the, the u.s fans themselves call it a c team I, i'd say it's a bit better than a c team it's probably closer to a b team but still like you know it, you're not playing a, a full strength u.s side and it, it is something where canada i feel like uh you know to, to build it up as, as, as underdogs feels a, a bit generous. And um, I mean, there'll, there'll be a lot to, to watch for on the U S side, but this is still a Canadian team that on their day, there's what four or five starters on this team. Can you really even say that about the U S maybe two or three uh, starters? So um, certainly one where it's maybe a bit of a motivational tactic, really try to take the pressure off. But to be honest, I think the, the kind of the group stage performances did that for Canada for, for them really, I'd be more focused on just like, 
you know, get back to that top dog mentality, get back to being the Kings of CONCACAF. And I think coming out of nowhere and winning a big game would, would, would help that because when you play awfully over three games, it can happen for any team. You know, the good teams, when it comes down to the must-win games, they kind of have short memories. So for Canada, I'd, you know, hopefully the, the, it's something where they can just come out with a short memory against the U.S. and just get back to, to, to what was they, we were seeing from them before. Yeah, here, here in Canada, I don't want the David versus Goliath story. I'll tell you what I want. I want the opportunity story. Mm. International football does not give you and present you a chance of redemption very long, two weeks later. You don't yeah. lose a final and then suddenly have an opportunity two weeks later to go, oh, you know what? We can knock these lads out of the quarterfinal. They beat us in the final. That doesn't happen. And, and this is the chance, Mitchell, right? This is the chance that, look, it's not going to be Gold Cup. It's not going to be the Nations League final in front of 35,000 plus in Vegas and the opportunity they had. But for John Herdman, Canada Soccer, some of those players who played that day, that is, you know, Larea, Azorio and others, that is how they will be thinking. Oh, absolutely. And it's really an opportunity if they want to do some damage in this tournament. You know, if they can beat the United States, all of a sudden all bets are off, even with how they started the competition. You know, if they can get beyond that team who has been the the dominant team in, in CONCACAF lately in terms of winning trophies and, and that sort of thing. We talk about their C team. Um, doesn't really matter. It's still the United States. So, you know, th- that could completely change the complexion of, of this tournament for Canada, how it's perceived, how this team is perceived if they can beat the United States. So, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a huge opportunity for Canada. And I think that is the way that, you know, this I guess Kings of CONCACAF Canada, um, the new Canada would and should look at this match and instead of, you know, positioning themselves as, as underdogs. Charlie, your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, it, this is a game where, you know, if Canada come out and beat them and we are singing a completely different tune, right? This is, this is, this group stage is, is forgotten. I mean, Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia in their first world cup game. Right. Um, but I, again, it is it is kind of a it's a strange one to to look at. I mean, the Gold Cup for the past few editions has always been for the U.S. and Mexico. The kind of the traditionally big Concacaf teams been a, a moment where they test out their depth and they they have a lot of squad rotation. That hasn't always been the case for Canada, but it is at this tournament, obviously. And you know, we're we're again, it's part of that process that Canada are, are trying to go through of becoming one of those big Concacaf nations and. And this is again a, a formative moment where you have to show that you belong there, even if your your A team, your first team, is not there. That what separated really the U.S. and Mexico at times from the rest of the pack has been the depth and their ability to win games and to win the Gold Cup, or I mean, largely games against each other with mm-hmm. you know rotation and and players from from you know MLS or Liga MX. So again, it's it's a very difficult game for Canada, but they they have to feel. I mean. It seems like they're going in with a bit of an underdog mentality. And I think that that probably is fair because this U.S. team has been playing a lot better than them. I think they've only conceded one goal in the group stage, and that was to Jamaica. But again, Canada can beat them. <laughs> It'll be difficult, but they, they need to play a lot better than they have. But maybe this is the kind of game they need, one where they won't have the ball. They can play in transition and maybe look a little bit more like themselves. Yeah, you just said something there, five words I thought was really important. Have to show they belong. And and I think this is fitting. It's a quarterfinal of a Gold Cup. And despite what we've had with the Nations League, let's say it again, it's the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. And the last quarterfinal of the Gold Cup was by far and away, I think, the biggest moment 
to say this team is for real when they absolutely decimated Costa Rica. Okay, Costa Rica got annihilated. It was 2-0. It could have been way more. And Canada, talk, we talked we talk earlier about lack of rhythm and not showing it. They had the game in control from whistle to whistle. They never looked like they were ever going to... If it was a boxing match, they never even got a scratch on their face. They were that good. Two years prior to that, they played in the quarterfinals against Haiti. They're winning 2-0. And that was the opposite. They capitulated in the second half. It was an awful performance. And then they got rightly, I think, slaughtered for it. So those two big moments and the changes between the two years is interesting because here we are. Okay, it's not quite the same team. But again, two years ago, we didn't have Milan Boyan. They didn't have a, a Jonathan David. They didn't, they didn't have some stars then. It's still a quarterfinal. And if they don't get it done and they don't show up, I think the topic will be, how do you not win the group? Why did you get the U.S. in the quarterfinals? That will be the topic, right? Yeah. I think if they get beat by the U.S., it's like you shouldn't be playing them in the quarterfinals. How are Canada, if you're a, a borderline fan in CONCACAF and you know Canada made it to the World Cup, people will go, why are Canada playing the U.S. in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup? Well, it's because they couldn't win a group with Guadeloupe and Guatemala and Cuba. At home. <laughs> at home. played a game at home. That's ultimately the reason, right? So go out there and win the game. But if you don't, people have a right to question it. And I think they will. And I think that I think that's fair. And again, here we are, AGR, in a in a pretty interesting quarterfinal of a Gold Cup, two years all apart, where the last two, for both opposite reasons, I, I think have been almost tent pole moments for this team. Yeah, I think this is it's absolutely crucial, right? It's a chance, uh, you know, a measuring stick game as well to go out against the U.S. Uh, if, again, if you want to build a rivalry, you're going to have to start getting, you know, to continue to punch. Uh, you know, there's always give and take in a rivalry. And for, for you know, between 2019 and 2022, Canada gave a little, right? They win at home in, in Nations League. They, you know, they beat them in qualifiers. They get a point off them away. They were given. And now the U.S. had the chance to get back. And, you know, they got Canada at the last Gold Cup. They got Canada in the Nations League final. If you want this to be a rivalry, if you want this to be a moment where you can prove your, your medal as a top CONCACAF team, Again, it goes back to before, like forgetting this, you know, terrible start to the tournament you've had. Just forget everything. It's a chance to play your rivals in a com in competitive game. We have to remember this doesn't come around often. Like no. what before? Like how many competitive games against the U.S. have there been in my lifetime? Most of them have been in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So enjoy it. Go out there and, and make the most and put in a really strong performance. I think that's also going to be crucial because... Look, it is something where due to their draw, they were going to play a strong team either way. That Jamaica team is no joke. So it's something where it's kind of pick your poison. You got the U.S., then make the most of it. Because you easily could have won the group and gotten them with how fine the margins were in that, that U.S.-Jamaica group. And, and just, you know, put this this bad run behind you. And, and, and I think this would be a good way to, to kind of show that, you know, this new Canada can, can be resilient. Cause look again, great teams have terrible runs of form all the time. I can't remember how many times if you hear managers like DJ Deschamps get their heads called for bad runs of spells <laughs> against teams like Lichtenstein and, you know, Luxembourg. And then all of a sudden you, you come to the big games, and you get it done. Well, for Canada, this is, they've had their struggles. This is their chance to, to kind of forget that against a big team and a big rival. Yeah. Get it done. No doubt. And like you said, um, who knows when they're going to play the U.S. again in, in, in a big game, right? You just don't know if you're going to get that in the Gold Cup. Um, on, you know, unlikely in the Copa America, they'll probably be in different groups and you never know how that's going to go. So, um, and then before we know it, we're going to be in the World Cup and they won't be in Canada's group then. So, um, yeah, it's, these things are special. And the United States, Canada, no matter what you're watching, um, um, you could watch the United States, actually, United States, Canada, anything, billiards, darts, whatever, sign me up, I'll watch it. Um, 
Charlie's not so convinced, but darts, I think there, I could. Is I think, there international darts? I don't know, but I wish there was because I think like yeah. the crowds in, in England, we could make that a big thing. I would watch that. Yeah. 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 The World Cup of darts, Canada versus the US. Let's get signed up. Anyway, uh, the World, the Gold Cup quarterfinals, uh, Sunday night, live on One Soccer as ever. You can watch all games live on One Soccer, the home for Canadian soccer, and they continue to do a great job. Uh, support them and support the team. Uh, we will transition now towards the Canadian Premier League. Look back on the weekend. The boys are going to stick around. They're going to come back and break down their own games. In the meantime, let's take a look at what happened on Canada Day weekend in the CPL. Simply an electric weekend across Canada for this great sport of ours and another four games in the Canadian Premier League. 12 goals in total, including a winner in the 100th minute in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where fans packed into the Wanderers' grounds to see Dan Nimick's penalty as Halifax beat Forge by two goals to one. A four-goal barn burner on Starlight Stadium on Vancouver Island as Pacific came back from a goal down. Familiar theme continues in the CPL this year. Teams that take leads do not hold them. Pacific, they, they, they were down by one goal to nil. Came back, led 2-1, couldn't hold the lead either. And Athletico Ottawa came back to get an Oli Bassett penalty to tie it at 2-2. Cavalry took the lead early and kept it with two goals from with a goal from Maya Bevan and Gote Antigny. And again, York took an early lead in that one. Couldn't keep the, the, the lead through Alou with Hundo getting a goal soon after. But Alzaze Di Rosario with his late goal, took all three points back to Ontario for Martin Nash's team. We start the recap, though, on Friday, and there's no other place to start it than Halifax, Nova Scotia. What a moment, what a special game, and what a special team this is developing into. We bring in our own very much correspondent for this one, Mitchell Tierney. Uh, Mitchell, this was an absolute joy to work on and to watch. I know you had a thrill of this. Every week, for those who are listening for the first time, we ask our correspondents to give it a mark out of 10 for their compelling factor. I'm eager, my friend, to hear your number. What did you like about it? What did you get? I'm going to go for a 9 out of 10. Um, strictly the the late drama in this match. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in terms of storylines, uh, doing the match report for this one, the delete button was working overtime because the story changed so many times in the last few minutes. You know, first it's, it's Halifax, you know, getting that early goal and then really grinding out a, 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 a home victory that would have made it three straight for them for the first time in club history um then the the script flips to it being the exact same script as the, the first game the two sides played together where forge ends up getting a late goal and you know kind of undoes all of this great work that halifax is 
has done and gets you know another come from behind points and then again uh it changes with Halifax somehow pulling off the the dramatic winner at the very end with Dan Nimick scoring his goal and just the atmosphere and everything surrounding that I mean it felt like a a big big moment um for this Halifax club who you know are really trying to have more moments like this at home this season and that being such a big part of the transformation of this team so um yeah for, from their standpoint just a, a huge game for them yeah huge game for them as you mentioned first time in club history to win three goals uh, three games in a row the scenes on a Friday night were absolutely magnificent to watch this is Canadian Premier League this is what it's all about uh, Leaf for Canadians and, and Nimic scoring so many places to go. Uh, and on that goal, there's been so many places people have gone in the storylines. Nimic scoring in the hundredth minute, the referee's decision to allow it happen in the first place. Was it a foul? Um, Caligari is ball over the top is absolutely sensational. If you've not watched Lorenzo Caligari in the Canadian Premier League, you're missing out. He's a gem, an absolute gem. He runs around with his socks like down. He's he can, he's got the tiniest shin pads. He passes around. We call him the CPL Busquets for a reason. The guy is an absolute brilliant player. Um, but what impressed you all in all about this Halifax team, Mitch, that in in, in found a way to win this game? Yeah, I think what impressed me most uh, above all was just the work rate of this team. I mean, they get that early goal and then everyone, all 11 and the guys coming off the bench, just work their, oh, in, in Lorenzo Caligari's case, very low socks off um, for the entire 90 minutes. You know, the, the strikers, uh, Coimbra, just a 19-year-old who just goes into every duel and makes it so uncomfortable um, on on the opposing defenders and and them trying to, to move the ball forward, moves into the midfield. You know, Massimo Farron had a game where he was all over the place defensively and then and then in attacking as well. Um, I, I also like that they've, you know, they've taken the early learnings of trying to play this possession-based mm. football and learn that, okay, maybe we can't always do this and we need to go a little more direct sometimes. We have the players that can just go direct, Aiden Daniels, Massimo Farron. These are great players that just running at back lines. So let's give up a little bit more of the ball, but let's not completely abandon our principles. They still play the ball out of the back a lot, and you see that on the Dan Nimick goal where – they could have just bombed it forward and who knows what happens there, but they delay for a second. Nimick has that time to really pick up his head and play the cross switch to Farron and, and that works out great. And I mean, Forge won the ball back 10 times in their half. So there's genuine risks to the way they play, but it's a risk reward system and it, it does seem to be working more often than not for Halifax now. So there's a lot to like in the way they've been playing recently. Yeah, we, we go back weeks right on the show where it did it was a disastrous start for them. They weren't getting the outcomes, but I think we we're all consistent on the newsroom team to say that their outcomes will take care of themselves if they keep playing the way that they were playing. And it would have been easy for them to say, oh boy, we're not winning games. We're not, you know, we haven't got, you know, we're winless in eight. It's been a struggle. What do we do? Do we abandon it? You mentioned it. They didn't abandon it. It's just, there's been a bit smarter and a bit more, a bit more of a hybrid system. So, um, you know, and both goals led to that from that directness. So every credit to them. Um, the man behind all of this in Halifax, let's listen to him. Here's Patrice Geyser after this victory. Right. I mean, you know, as we continue to say, obviously it's important that we beat the most prominent team in the league, but I think I'm just more importantly trying to bring now more and more focus on the second round to our guys. You know, I'm bringing highlight to, you know, all the doubt that we had in the first round and all the, some of the negative comments that you heard that it's not going to happen. And I mean, they're relentless and their effort is phenomenal. I mean, if you're from the entire East Coast, you should be really proud of these guys because they died on that field, man. They really pushed. So 
I'm proud of their effort, but got to move on. And if we don't get a result next Friday, then this one doesn't make a difference. We will get to next Friday shortly. That's the views of one gaffer who got the victory in the 100th minute. On the other side, let's get the views of Hamilton's forged his boss, is Bobby Smiliotis. Of course, it's uh, it's not a habit that uh, that we want to have. It's not a habit that you want in the game, and you know that's the thing that's tough. Uh, you look at the the end stat sheet, and it's two goal, two shots on goal for Halifax, two goals. Um, that can't be uh, the way that games uh, roll for us. Uh, you know, it's a bottom line. You know, it's a, it's unacceptable uh, from the group, but it's something we just need to be better at. Mitchell, let's talk about Forge then before we let you go. Um, Bobby called it unacceptable. They are finding ways to lose games that I think they're in control of quite often. They were never really in control of this one. Becker, by the way, got them back in control in the 88th minute. And it looked like they could have won it. But Jordan yeah. Hamilton had chances too. Uh, overall, your take on this is, a, is, again, a bit of a setback after the week prior when they'd found a way to win the 4-3 game against Oswa. Yeah, it's a great point that they, they could have won it because for most of that added time, it looked like Forge was really on the front foot after that late goal and like they were going to take all three points and it was going to be a huge disappointment for Halifax. But it's another game, um, another game this season where they're coming from behind and they've got nine points now. They almost got their 10th there, um, which I think 11 was the league lead all of last season in terms of points when coming from behind. So they're, they're, they've almost matched that already, but they've, are consistently putting themselves in in that position. I think they've only scored first three times in in all of the three one nil away matches. And you know, no matter how good you are in getting back into matches, you just leave yourself open to late calls like that that will all of a sudden cost you three points. And you have to now be fully on the front foot. And the other team has something to defend, and they're confident now in defending that because they have the lead. So it's it's that habit that Bobby Smirniotis was talking about. There is it has to be cut out of their game if they're going to start winning again. And um, yeah, again, it's, it's a big issue. And if you want to control games and we know Ford certainly do, you can't allow the first goal. No, definitely not. I, I, look, no alarm bells, uh, no crisis going on at Forge, but they are leaving points when they shouldn't do. Uh, and I think that's pretty comfortable uh, uh, analysis from that. I think I'll, even they would agree with that. Um, what's next for these two teams? I'll take this one. Halifax on the road in Vancouver on Friday night and Forge away against York on Sunday night at 7.30 Eastern uh, as well. Uh, Mitchell, as usual, we appreciate you. Catch Mitch's work at campiel.ca and we'll chat with you next week. Thanks so much, mate, for this. Uh, we bring in Charlie O'Connor-Clark for our next game. And uh, this was also on Friday night. And boy, oh boy, this was also a fantastic game. Um, you called it an entertaining clash in your analysis. This, of course, Pacific 2, Atletico Ottawa 2. Charlie, great out of 10 for this, for your compelling factor. What did you like about this one? Because there was a lot to get to. Yeah, this was a great game. I think it didn't have quite the the theater of Halifax. So I'll give this one just an 8 out of 10. But it really was a, a fantastic game with two teams really doing some of the things that they do best. If you're watching in a stream, you see Ottawa's first goal here. It's it's just them being lethal in transition. Ollie Bassett so purposeful when they win the ball and just getting so directly forward, driving play, finding uh, Sam Salter with a, a really good pass. And it's something that obviously Ottawa have done several times before, including this year. So that's them at their best. And the Pacific at their best is apparently scoring set pieces, which they do twice in this game, which is uh, is, is just tremendous. I mean, Thomas, Thomas Mayer Jaguar scores his first regular season goal from the corner there. It's It's been usually Amir Didich from that kind of similar spot this year. But again, Pacific 
maybe a little bit more disappointed than Ottawa to not come out with all three points. They're playing at home. They miss a penalty at the end of the game, uh, which is, is obviously disappointing for them. But again, it's a it's a very, very interesting game between two teams that that really were were, you know, doing doing again some of the things that have made them good over the over the past year or so. Yeah, a, a, tr- a tremendous game. Um, probably one that both teams thought they could win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> both teams led, uh, and both teams were frustrated not to get the victory. But probably in the end, uh, you know, were not necessarily satisfied. I don't. I mean, you never like to see Josh Hurd miss a penalty. Every credit to anything, but it wasn't a penalty. So maybe there was just it was outside the <laughs> box there. Uh, so maybe that was the way it's supposed to be. And and then two two. Let's get to Athletic Ottawa in a second, and we want to hear from James Merriman in a second. But your thoughts on Pacific, who have played a lot of home games, but are undoubtedly the best team in the CPL at the moment. And it doesn't matter whether it's TMG or Didich or one week it's Sean Young or Manny Aparicio or Angaro or Salouf. I'm missing them. I know Josh Hurd. They find different ways to, to get heroes every week, Charlie. And I mean, Salouf is probably the biggest star of all at the moment. But this team looks really content with a lot of a lot of uh, depth uh, all over the pitch. They really do. And they've had, again, so many standout performers. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, Salouf has arguably been, arguably been one of the best players in the whole league so far this year. And, and as a newcomer, to be able to fit in so quickly and take over games the way that he has at times, he's incredible and his pacific team was a lot of fun to watch especially when he's on the pitch um and there there does seem to be quite a you know a a, a chemistry coming along in this team and they're, they're just so dangerous they can hurt you in so many different ways when you're defending against them you as a defender you you can't overcommit because they've got so many players that can beat a defender one-on-one but you also can't give away free corner kicks and set pieces because they're they're so dangerous from those as well so it's a, it's a very tricky team to defend against because there's just so many weapons and ways that they can hurt you yeah now nine unbeaten in the league uh unbeaten all the way through may unbeaten all the way through june is their boss james merriman for, for sure for sure um i think they came to kill the game um and we played into that a little bit we the two goals we conceded we're not happy with you know the the first goal was just our setup was was poor and and then the second goal we go up to one and then we we give a penalty away so quickly um but the there was really difficult to play there was no flow uh there was no rhythm um so it, it was not an easy game and you know i have to give the players a lot of credit for for the effort the work that we put in and overall the month has been a, been an excellent month so um, I just thought we were slow in the first half and then you, you saw us in the second half and for sure, for sure, should have taken three points. And But it's okay. It is, we'll learn and we'll move forward. Um, before we move to Atletico Ottawa, I, I think James Merriman has gone up an unbelievable notch with his co- in-game coach in this season. And yes. I know he's got more, he's got way more weapons in his bag than he did last season. Uh, but his... Decision making in game, I think, is incredibly astute. The amount of guys he puts on at the right time, even his discussion at halftime, you know, they made a big difference the way they came out. Um, and he's got big players there. He didn't play Josh Hurd on his captain from the start. He's got big decision he's got to make every week. Uh, I think he's growing in front of our eyes as a coach. That's what I, I wanted to say. And if, as I said, he's made a lot of different make the, the key areas that he's made differences to gain them points this season. Um, much like we saw Carlos Gonzalez do, particularly last season. Um, and again, this was a point for them that they needed, particularly after the 
crushing 4-3 loss the week prior to that. Bassett was tremendous in this game. I know one soccer gave him the performance of the match. He carried them through a lot of this. What did you see from them? Um, and were they content with the point, you think, in the end? I do think they were, especially, you know, obviously, when you when you have a penalty saved at the end. But overall, I do think that... I think Ottawa will feel like it's the kind of game where you go on the road to the best team in the league and, and you're definitely content with weathering a bit of a storm, which they absolutely did in this game. And, and they... They know that when they play against Pacific, especially at Starlight Stadium, they can find those those opportunities to get down the pitch quickly. It's kind of the smaller, narrower pitch out there than they, they play out in a TD place. And there were elements to this game which were maybe similar to the playoff game they played there last year, mm-hmm. where Ottawa has to do a lot of defending. They're weathering corners and, and crosses and, and sending them away. Obviously, Pacific a little bit more dangerous in this game than they were in that semifinal, but Ottawa pretty happy with with waiting for their moment and picking those transitional opportunities uh which again i think is is them at their best and is ollie bassett at his best at times yeah bassett was very very good and he's had a really good month you know you think yeah. about the games he played uh particularly that home game against halifax that started the month he was very very good in that game very good in vancouver as well um so it hasn't been again hasn't been a consistent run of form and results for atletico ottawa who went through june with a win loss win loss draw um, but I do think there's some signs there of the return in the corner. And remember, Malcolm Shaw, their main striker, um, has been in international duty, taken over by Sam Salter, who scored on the weekend as well. Um, let's go back to Starlight Stadium and hear from their gaffer. Here is Carlos Gonzalez. Well, first of all, the players, you know, they, they showed desire, desire and energy to, to run 90 meters and to, and to step into the other team's box, box with, with that uh, speed, you know. Uh, we knew that, that in certain moments, uh, yeah, Pacific were going to to give uh, situations with not a, uh, enough balance of defenders over there, so we had the spaces to, to break into. And I think that, that we did it great. We take advantage of, of that situation after a corner, I think, and, and it went well. It did. Both teams return home for this weekend. Pacific take on Cavalry on Saturday. That'll be a great clash there. Six o'clock local time and Atletico Ottawa on Sunday host Valor at TD Place um, in a very good game that always play well uh, when they play Valor as well. Always good clashes in that one. Uh, as usual, you can read Charlie at campio.ca, including his analysis coming up of Canada against Cuba as we get set, you get you set. That's uh, going to be that. Mitchell's That's analysis. Mitchell, Mitchell's analysis, of course, of Canada versus Cuba. And Charlie is all over that as well, as we also yeah. turn our attention on campbell.ca towards the Women's World Cup coverage coming up, Charlie, as well. We're going to be all over that, aren't we, over the next couple of weeks as well, getting Absolutely. ready for that. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, Charlie, great work as usual. We'll chat with you, of course, next week. We continue the show on Saturday. Uh, there was a game in Winnipeg, and it was a good game. It was Canada Day, and we bring in our own correspondent for this one, Benedict Rhodes. Benny, great to see you. Um, uh, Cavalry always seem to play well when you do their games, I feel like. And in this one, they found a way to get a goal early and a goal late. Um, and a big three points for them overall. Your mark out of 10 for this one is a compelling factor. What impressed you and who impressed you? I'll go for, for seven and a half. I think that's probably fair. You know, uh, it's an early goal. Cavalry uh, coming out of the gates flying. You know, Meyer Bevan it was, it wasn't the prettiest goal. Unfortunately, on YouTube, you can see it right now. I think it was probably two miss hits from the cross and the shot. But uh, they, they found a way to get the ball into the back of the net. And that's, that's what matters. And from there, for the next half an hour, the rest of the half really was all Valor. You know, it was... They were, they were all over Cavalry. They were getting the majority of the scoring opportunities, and except for this one, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, with Sergio Camargo had a, a glorious chance to make it 2-0 late in the first half. But, um, you know, for the, the middle portion of this game, it was 
Valor really controlling this game and just couldn't find that goal they were missing. And uh, then, you know, with time time winding down, Cavalry managed to find a second one and, and came away with that. I think it was a very deserved three points. Yeah, Cavalry have got players who can score goals right now. And obviously that counts with Maya Bevan, who's a top goal scorer. Gote and Tingney has been really good for them as well. It was great to see him get the goal late and back-to-back games as well. Really happy for Ben Fisk, who's been obviously not been playing too much this season with injury. I uh, was able to help them there get that goal as well. And um, as you mentioned, uh, probably deserve three points. It's always nice when you can secure that before the final whistle as well. Uh, this felt big for me. Benny watching it. This felt big for Cavalry that they got back-to-back wins for the first time. We know that it can be a team in momentum. They haven't really found that this season. They had a great run last year when they went unbeaten in 11. Um, you know, uh, I think club record. This feels like this could be a team that might just be finding their top gear, do you think? I think that's probably fair. I think, you know, one of the, the major criticisms against this team was, you know, they maybe scoring goals and not defending well or defending well and not scoring goals and other kind of putting the whole thing together and you know, in in this game, you know, Eric Cobza and Dan Klomp are absolutely fantastic in the back for this game. And, uh, you know, when those two guys get going, you know, I don't know if they might be one of the top center-back duos in, in the league when they're both playing at the level they can play. Uh, Klopp especially, we know how, how good he can be. And, and you know, he defended well. He had a big part on, on both of their goals. And, uh, you know, if they keep playing well and they start getting some of these pieces back, like Shumit Shom, like Kyle Montgomery, uh, Mile Henri coming in as well. So uh, I think, you know, they, they could take a step now and, and, and really start to, to put some points together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. This is what we expect from them. And and look, in a league in the CPL that rewards um, consistency, you know, we've got that tier system. First is very different to second. Third is very different to second and fourth and so on. Um, Cavalry will know. They have to step it up to continue to get on that run. And, and, and they'll still believe they can win this title um, in the regular season, no doubt. Uh, let's hear from their boss in Winnipeg. Here's the victorious Tommy Wilden Jr. Yeah, uh, professional. I thought um, we knew you're coming into a, a, a good group. Uh, they're having a decent season and what I'm beating, as Fraser said, in 13 games. So we knew it wasn't going to be easy. So we talked about moments in our defensive structure. Um, we knew where their threats were and our lads were disciplined. I thought, you know, Charlie and uh, Jesse Daly were incredible in midfield, breaking up their threats, breaking up the play and the back line did what they can do, kept a clean sheet, kept them at bay. And you know, the front line did what they did, and Maya Bevan scores again. And then uh, Gote and Tigny, fantastic again. Yeah, Charlie Trafford, I thought, was very, very good. And the game almost got into the team of the week, uh, but is, I believe, suspended for next week. We'll get into what's next for them. Um, talking of what's next, let's go back to IG Field in Winnipeg here from Valor's boss, Philip DeSantos, after his first home loss in 11 months. We controlled a lot of... Uh, ground we controlled the ball um, we created chances throughout the game and um, and we couldn't capitalize i think that right now it's starting to be a common denominator or you know we look at it it's 13 games now and we have what 10 goals so it, it's evident uh, that it's been a problem for us uh, until this moment so yeah, the chances are there. You look at it again, the amount of um, half chances and, and, and good chances that we had today. But at the end of the day, you need to capitalize. You need to score. You need to uh, to find that goal so that everyone could breathe a little bit. And um, and it's, it, it didn't happen. 
fair assessment, Benny. I mean, I think they've scored more than one goal in just three of those 13 games this season. And, you know, they've got some some nice attackers this year, Novak, Niangabere, Williams, um, but they need to start scoring more often and not relying on Gutierrez or De Brienne to score a screamer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all their goals have come from, from set pieces or, or, like you said, from from wonder goals that you wouldn't expect them to score. So I think they need to get more out of uh, Siage and, and Novak at striker there. Again, the chances, they're just not putting them in the back of the net. You know, Siage in this game had a, a crossing from Bacara that he got his head on and, and, and sent it well wide of the post when he was probably expected to get it on target. And, you know, I spoke to Phil midweek and he even said, you know, if they feel they can, they can upgrade, they might even look at going out and getting someone. Uh, it it kind of depends on you know, who can pick up their form and, and really kind of prove they, they deserve that number one spot up top and start putting some goals in the back of the net. They'll need to do that against a stingy Atletico Otto at TD Place on Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Valor in Atletico Ottawa's territory there. And as we mentioned earlier, a huge one. Starlight Stadium, 6 o'clock local, 9 o'clock Eastern. Cavalry at the Leaders Pacific. And if you believe in trends and you think the league is a little bit stretched at the top right now, you might think that Cavalry might get that victory. So we'll see on that one. But Cavalry looking to go three wins in a row for the first time this season. Benedict, as usual, catches great work at campio.ca. And of course, his fantastic guide towards the Women's World Cup. Everything you need to know is up there right now towards that tournament that kicks off later this month. I uh, appreciate you as ever, Benny. We'll, we'll speak to you last uh, next week. Last but not least, we bring back AGR and we want to recap a great game in Vancouver on Sunday. Our West Coast correspondent is back. Fantastic after his brilliant thoughts on Canada. And AGR, you were all over this one for us at campio.ca's Vancouver lose to York United by two goals to one. There's a lot of early goals in the CPL this year and you had two in the first six minutes. Sean Hundell scored three goals in the first six minutes this season, but in the end, it wasn't good enough for Vancouver as York United found a way. What were your overall thoughts on this one and your compelling factor out of 10? Yeah, I'll honestly give this one an eight. I think it was one where it was entertaining early and often. It's one of those where, you know, sometimes teams uh, can feel each other out. No issue with that. One second, there's a goal and you're, you know, writing down notes, figuring out what's happening. As soon as, uh, you know, you're reacting to that great ball over the top from Daniel Lapere, nice finish from Alou, you, you know, Anthony White's putting it on a platter for Sean Hundal, and it's uh, it's game back on. And from there, it was just a very wide-open game, which is surprising. Vancouver, you know, wanting to keep it tight at home. York on the road, you'd expect them to want to lock up shop a little, but it was just chance after chance after chance. We saw Sean Hundal had a great look there. Uh, you know, there's a few other chances from uh, his Vancouver teammates. Brian Wright himself could have had a hat trick. Uh, and then in the end, Ozazi Di Rosario scores and gets the York the win. Probably should have had a second himself, Di Rosario, because it was another big chance from him. So overall, just an, an entertaining wide open game, despite what a 2-1 scoreline might suggest. Yeah, well said. A funny old game, football, no? Di Rosario, right? They've had lots of chances to score this season and then suddenly scuffs one comes off a defender, bounces over the goalie, and it goes in, and you get the winner. And that's how you know football can, as Bobby Smith also would say, the football gods will repay you uh, eventually. Uh, you know this VFC team really well, AGR. You obviously based out there. You watch them live a ton. Clearly a, tra- a transitional team. Lots of changes in and out. No Sandoval this weekend. They've had a lot of injuries. Pelly Martinez still suspended. Um, what are your overall thoughts on what you saw from them? Uh, didn't find a way to win it, but Hondal scores again, and and they were competitive, and and they've been competitive most of the season. Yeah, they looked like a, a bit of a new team on the ball. It felt like, uh, you know, they were controlling it. There's a real 20 minute phase after they scored, where you know it was, they looked the likelier team to score. They were fizzing it around. They were just playing the sort of 
you know, it felt like you got a glimpse of Afshin Gatmi, especially the last few weeks, as people have been asking, where are the goals? Where are the goals? He's been saying, look, we're far from where we want to be. For 20 minutes, felt like, oh, okay, I see what he's talking about. I see that vision he has for the attack. Uh, and I think Mickey Kintab was a huge addition in that regard. You could see just the quality he brought and, you know, just the calmness. And, you know, sometimes I think what we've seen with Vancouver is they've almost been a bit overeager at times. As you get the ball, you want to play the the Hollywood home run ball over the top. You want to get the perfect through ball. And sometimes you just need to hold it, visit around, get that possession, get that comfort and pick your spots. And I think someone like Kantave brought that calmness. And I think it kind of rubbed off the, his teammates and they immediately uh, picked up off that. And I think that's a good sign because, again, we've been saying it since week one. There's quality in this roster. Uh, it just feels like at times that you can see the disjointedness, the new team, uh, the, the cohesion, the chemistry. And it felt like for 20 minutes in that first half, we saw a vision of that Vancouver team we've heard so much about. Yeah, Kantav made his debut after the transfer swap with Cavalry, with Niall Henry going the other way. Uh, let's go back to Vancouver FC's ground. Uh, let's listen to the head coach, Here's Afshin, Afshin Gopi. Yeah, I think uh, there were a lot of positives. Uh, of course, uh, we're all very disappointed about uh, about the results. Um, uh, unlucky second goal, a deflection. Uh, but I felt... Uh, especially after we took an early goal. It was a soft goal, in my opinion, and the reaction from the team was fantastic and how Mikel integrated into the team, how effective he was combining with Sean and Gabby. And and, and, and I felt uh, it was the first time I felt that we actually, when we have the ball, we can be goal dangerous uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so that's, for me, very positive. Uh, but I think defensively, we have to be a lot better. We gave too many... Uh, chances away. We were too uh, uh, stretched out at, at, at long moments and uh, and there are times that I also believe that when we have possession of the ball, uh, not just our team, I think a lot of the teams, that we give the ball away too easily. Yeah, that's well said. Backing up your points there. Uh, as for York United, they've been the road warriors and the uh, guys clocking the most air miles lately. They've been on a brutal stretch. But when you think about it, away from home this season, they've been to Ottawa. They won 1-0 there. They went to Halifax. They won 3-0 there. They went to Hamilton. They won 2-1 in For at Forge. And now they go to Vancouver and win 2-1 there. Here is their thoughts of their manager. Here is Martin Nash. Um, you know, we, it's nice to get a win on the road after you know three, three of our last four on the road. Even though we played maybe better than we did tonight in some ways, we weren't get, we didn't get results in the last three, and you know, uh, and we conceded in the last three in the last ten minutes. Um, so to be able to hold out and throw in the kitchen sink, guys, this is uh, uh, was big for us today, and uh, hopefully we'll build some confidence from that. Final question, AGO. What were your thoughts on York? I know you were talking about them a lot in your analysis on Campio.ca. No, Babuli was basically suspended, but no problem for them. And Dero gets that goal, found a way. And uh, Jeremy Gagnon Lapare, again, as you mentioned, uh, pulling the strings in midfield. Overall, your thoughts on a York team who keep finding a way to win? I just continue to be impressed with their depth, really. I think that's been the big noticeable change because last year they dealt with horrific injuries and, and absences, and they, it just sunk them. And this year, you know, they've struggled to, to get their best 11, whatever you want to call it or believe that is, on the field together. We don't know because we haven't seen a, their, their whole team fit, yet they find a way 
uh, to weigh in. It was nice for them at the back to look back there and have Mordekudis and Thompson finally playing together because they looked really good and, and shored things up. Paris G got to play his more natural position, and he thrived at home with the very big uh, Paris G fan club that was there, of course, with him being a, a Vancouver native. And the biggest thing is in the attack. They just have so much depth where they can kind of roll through the, the winger combinations, the attack combinations. Babuli drops out. Alou comes in and scores a goal. Uh, you know, Clément Bahia had one of his best games for, for York. He was just dropping chance after chance, had a few opportunities to score as well. Uh, it's just huge to have that depth across the field. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they can do when they're fully healthy and can you know, allow a best 11 to, to build chemistry. But the fact that, you know, they've been able to chop and change and still continue to get uh, these sorts of results and have good performances on top of that shows uh, how far they've come in that department. Yeah, they've been really impressive. Uh, well said. Uh, next week for them at home against Forge on Sunday. And of course, for um, Vancouver, they are at home on Friday. Short rest for them. Uh, but they'll be ready to turn it around as they take on Halifax. AJ, I'll be all over that one as well for us this weekend. And we'll be back next week, of course, to recap it. Alex, thanks for this. And we'll speak to you next week. Keep up the great work as usual. Take a look at the standings then in the CPL as we wrap up the show. And it is continuing to be pretty tight. Pacific lead the way. 25 points. They're only playing 12 games. They have a five-point lead over York and two games in hand. York on 20 points. This is where I mentioned where it gets tight. York, 14 games played, 20 points. Forge, 14 games played, 19. Cavalry, 12 points, 12 games played, 18. What a chance they have uh, to really go for the top of the table when they get a chance at Pacific this weekend. Halifax are just behind in the fifth and final playoff spot, 16 points from 12. And then Valor on 15. Atletico Ottawa on 12. And Vancouver FC on 10, still in it through 13 games. Uh, take a look at next week in the schedule. As I said, Vancouver taking on Halifax on Friday night at the Langley Event Center. Uh, Pacific take on Cavalry at Starlight Stadium on Vancouver Island on Saturday. Um, then the West Coast moves to East Coast and, and to Ontario on Sunday for a doubleheader. Let's go Ottawa against Valor at 3 o'clock and York United take on Forge on Sunday evening. And I believe that game, because it goes a little bit head-to-head -head with the Canada game, will be live on One Soccer's YouTube. So don't forget to check that one out as well. Um, that is it for the show. My thanks again to the team, Benedict Rhodes, Charlie O'Connor-Clark, Mitchell Tierney, and Alex Gangu-Ruzik for recapping Canada versus Cuba and previewing the Gold Cup quarterfinal against the United States. And thank you to you for joining us on this Tuesday night. We leave you with a special video. It was a special week. It always is as we celebrate this wonderful country, Canada Day. And we cannot forget what a wonderful league we have. Canadian Premier League built for Canadians. Here are some of the coaches talking, what are gen generally thinking about what a special league this is five years in. Happy Canada Day weekend to everybody. It was great to watch the football. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the week this week ahead of the Gold Cup quarterfinal. Now the Canadians have an ability to, to start their process here in their own backyard, in their own cities, in their own country, in their own province. And that allows the game to grow. Rewind and, uh, and go back to 2018, and there's not eight professional teams. And there's not coaches like myself uh, coaching in the professional game. And uh, there's not, uh, you know, 120 Canadian players playing professionally in our country. Um, you don't develop players uh, to their maximum without a domestic league. You can see the interest is genuinely growing and that's what the league was created for and you also see young young players coming in young canadians getting opportunities that were never existed before um, that could have fallen out of the game and now they're pushing and, and they're the future of our game so 
Um, it's been amazing. It's it's only been five years, and the growth's been incredible. And I think it's only going to continue. So it's great to see our young Canadian players feel that connection to our current generation, rather than going across the world. I mean, that's bound to happen, but it's great to see that. And then that gives our next generation the goal to push and be a part of this league and just to keep it going. There's no doubt in my head that you know the platform that these players are getting now. Um, has made a big difference. I look at even even players in League One across the country now having something to play for. They look at a CPL and they say, you know what, there's hope. I'm there. I could be there. And uh, that's huge for the country. That's huge. I have no doubt about that. This league has been built through a pandemic and the owners that are Canadian have invested in, in a professional league to make sure that it exists and there's opportunity there. My role in this ecosystem is to give back to a country that you know welcomed me, and I'll continue to do that. Um, I just want to help grow the game here and you know leave it in a better place for when somebody else takes uh, over the the journey.